0: Okay, Uh, there's a lot uh, going on in our world where the Christian story, as you understand it, uh, the story about Jesus, it's not at the center anymore. There was a time and a place in our country, anyway, where the the Christian story was kind of a dominant narrative. And it no longer is. Um, It's not the predominant narrative that people gravitate toward when... They're in the midst of everything going on in their lives and everything that's going on in the world. And when I get up uh, every day, I look at my news app. I do a few things in my routine. Um, and I, and I read the news. I don't watch the news anymore. Um, but I read it. And, uh, usually two things are in that. People who are, if you, if one way of looking at it is that you see a bunch of stories where people are living through their ego without humility. And they have a misplaced hope on one hand. And then there's others who have humility, but they don't have any hope. And what I see is people who think that their story is the story. Their story is the story. And then I also see people who don't have any story at all or who don't know a good enough story to provide the hope that they so desperately need. And so part of our job as christians is to ask what does it mean to be a christian in a time and a place where our story the story of jesus the story of god it's not at the center of everything anymore and how can we be a a part of changing that again we've been asking the question this summer as we go through this series on acts what happens when the holy spirit leads the way the story of the book of Acts is the story of the birth of the church through the Holy Spirit. And it comes into being uh, after Jesus ascends into heaven. And right before Jesus leaves, he says a very particular thing to his followers. He says, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the Spirit comes into their lives after jesus leaves and the spirit takes charge in doing the work that jesus was already doing before so jesus is doing this work and he's calling follow, calling his followers to do what he's doing with him and then he leaves and then sends the spirit to lead the way so that they have another leader to follow and do the things that he was already doing to continue the ministry of jesus that started uh, to happen through the church and they are empowered by the holy spirit so in its simplest terms we've been asking this in a, another way to state the question is what does it mean for us as west seattle christian church to continue the story of the church in acts to continue that story even though it was thousands of years ago how do we continue that and how do we invite the holy spirit to lead the way and we've been doing this by looking at these different stories in acts and uh as the church went around to these different places, different cities and towns in, in the New Testament world, how did the Holy Spirit take charge and lead them through their story? Last week we talked about how uh, the Holy Spirit leads the way by giving us, as Christians, eh, the ability to be intentional. We want to have intentionality uh, in, in how God is shaping and forming our lives when we looked at Acts chapter 11. Uh, but the story today comes from Acts chapter 13. So I want you to flip over to Acts chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 13. Or if you have your app on your phone or just look it up on, in your browser or whatever, Acts chapter 13, I often go to, as a resource, if you don't know this resource, I often go to Bible Gateway, uh, which is a website that gives you a bunch of resources plus the scriptures in different uh, formats, uh, different versions. And so uh, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Last week, we talked about how Paul and Barnabas uh, were sent out to continue sharing the message about Jesus. And that happened back, in, we went through Acts chapter 11, and then we ended with Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And right in that part of the beginning of Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out. And so it's the story about them being commissioned, and that commissioning happened in this city. Okay, So we have this map. And you see all these squiggly lines on there, and they're in different colors, and those are the various travels of Paul. It's probably a bit hard to see because there's so much to fit in. But I wanted to give you you a grasp of how far Paul is traveling by foot, by animal, by boat, maybe by wagon, we don't know, but probably most likely by foot and boat in almost all these scenarios. He's traveling thousands of miles on purpose with intentionality to get this story out about Jesus. On the right-hand side, you see Judea in big black letters, and the bottom dot at the bottom right-hand corner that's red is Jerusalem. And then you go up the coast, and you see Judea, Samaria, Cilicia, and just below Cilicia, right to the left of the S in Syria, is Antioch. It's kind of covered up by a line. Antioch uh, on the Orontes, okay? Okay. That's a river that was going into the Mediterranean right there, okay? The distance between Jerusalem and Antioch is about 300 miles. So last week we talked about how they gathered a, a monetary gift to help with famine from uh, the church in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas took it all the way down to Judea, Judea and then uh, down to Jerusalem. And then sometime later they come back to Antioch, and it's in that verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13 that... Paul and Barnabas are commissioned to take the message of Jesus, the good news. They're they're commissioned to take it even further, okay? So, in our text today, uh, they are going to move all the way up to where, you see where it says uh, Asia? (laughs) Just to the right of Asia, there's a red dot. It looks like it's kind of on the water. You see another uh, bold-faced type that says Lyconia? And just to the left of that, that red dot, that's Antioch in Pisidia, which is the Antioch that we're in today. The difference between these two is vast, okay? Antioch down on the right on the ocean, that's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There's Rome. There's Alexandria, which is off the map down to the left, uh, down by Jerusalem in Africa. Alexandria is down there. That's the second largest city in the Roman Empire. And then there's Antioch, huge Okay. Huge, huge city with probably 600 to 650,000 people at the time living there. Okay. Um, and just think about this. 650,000 people living there without electricity and with, without plumbing. Yay. (laughs) Right. And then Paul is commissioned to go to these other regions and he goes up to Antioch up there, which is really small. It's out in the country. It's on a major road, but it's just like out in the middle. People know about it, but it's, it's like a town, right? So he's going to really big places and he's going to really, really small places that seem are se- seemingly insignificant. You know, he's commissioned to go there. So he's, he's headed up to Pisidia, Antioch or Antioch in Pisidia. And the the... I want you to keep in mind that over on the right part of the map, the one on the ocean, we'll just call that Antioch Prime, okay, because it's so big. Um, Antioch Prime is where they were first called Christians, okay? Antioch Prime is where they were first called Christians, not, not the one that's up on the left, up there out in, out in the hills, okay? <laughs> so um, every time you see Antioch mentioned in scriptures, it's always Antioch Prime, the big one. The verse we're going to read today is the only place where Antioch and Pisidia is mentioned. It's the only place that it's mentioned, okay? So, Paul's modus operandi, when he's traveling around, is the first place he goes to when he reaches a new city or a town, is he looks around and he looks for Jews. He looks for people who've been displaced, okay? Okay. Uh, several times prior to Jesus' ministry in the history of the Jewish people, the people were taken into captivity, they were conquered, Jerusalem was attacked, and because of persecution, the Jews fled, and we call that the the diaspora, or the diaspora, or the diaspora, however you've learned that, maybe you've never learned that word. Doesn't matter how you pronounce it, it's called the diaspora, okay? It means they ran away, okay? Run away, because we're being persecuted. And because of that, those different persecutions, you have pockets of Jewish people living in all those places, okay? So his modus operandi is, well, I'm going to start with the people who know the back story about a Messiah, and I'm going to go to them first, and I'm going to give them the first opportunity to hear, guess what? The Messiah did come. His name is Jesus, and here's the continuing story of what happened. And do you want to believe in this, Take take heart in this, and own it now? And some did, and some didn't, as we're going to see. So, there's Jews in Antioch, Pisidia, who have, who have fled there, and they are basically refugees that have gone there. They've, they're not in their homeland anywhere. Anymore. And that's where we pick up the story, okay? Here is what happens in verse 13. And we're going to try and fly through this because this is a bit bigger scripture than we normally read together. But it says this, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed, sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So John took off. From Perga, they went to Pisidian Antioch, the Antioch up in the hills. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So, I went a little bit fast there, didn't I? Okay, somehow, somehow they go there, they're sitting there on the Sabbath, they're, they're reading from the Law and the Prophets, and somehow the leaders who are already there, they recognize Paul as a, as a leader, and they're like, we want you to speak to us. Probably expecting him to to give a little sermonette or a little bit of word of exhortation, as it says, about whatever verse or scripture it was that they were reading, okay? So somehow they recognize that Paul has the authority to teach them, all right? Uh, So they offered for him to speak that day. And so he does. He goes on. Here's what it says in verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God. So there's Gentiles there too, because they don't have... The synagogue there in these other different cities, there may have been Gentiles there who were wondering, what's this little Jewish, Jewish religious sect all about? Maybe I want to join it, okay? Paul motions with his hand and says, Fell Israelites with your, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel, the God, I lost my place. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. And then skipping down to verse 22. If I ever put a dot, 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 I'm skipping. Because you don't, you don't really want me to read the whole thing, do you? Right? Because that would take forever. Some of you are like, no. Okay. After removing Saul, in verse 22, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel... The Savior Jesus, as He promised. So, remember who He's talking to. He's talking to Jews who know this backstory, and He starts giving them the backstory. Right? He starts with their story. This is the same method employed by Stephen before his death in Acts seven. Remember when we read that a few weeks back? What does Stephen do? He goes, "Let me tell you your story." And when they, when he tells them their story, what do they do? They kill him. Yeah. So Paul starts with their story. Paul was there giving, giving assent to their actions when they killed Stephen. Now Paul is converted, and it's probably over a decade later. So Paul starts with their story, and he reminds them of this. Our people were a people who were what? They were enslaved. They were in slavery. Our people were then rescued out of that slavery, and God made them into this beautiful chosen people who were going to work God's purposes in the world. And he gave them a king. He gave them David as their king. So you fast forward a little bit in that story. There was this promise that was given to David uh, when his kingdom was thriving. And there were times when it wasn't thriving because David made mistakes. (laughs) But there was this promise made. And the promise was, um, because you're in this role, and because my people are becoming who I would hope them to be, someday you're going to have a descendant on the throne who will rule to an even greater degree than you are, David. And all of the people knew this backstory, okay? So fast forward to Paul, who's in Pisidian Antioch, and the Jews there, the same as Jews anywhere at that time, they had this understanding. They had this very long waiting period, this expectation just this deep longing for a messiah to come a rescuer a savior someone who would do everything that david did for the kingdom and more and so paul is sitting with this small collection of people in antioch which is under roman rule in a roman province surrounded by greco-roman ways of worshiping a whole pantheon of pagan gods uh, that are vying for people's allegiance and attention and these people, this small pocket of Jewish faithful, are still hoping and longing in, in, that, in that context for a Messiah. And they're in this synagogue, which is probably just a small building with a room where they can all get together. And they're engaging with the Scriptures just like we are doing. And they're hoping that at some time this, this Messiah is going to come back to Jerusalem and call God's people together again where God is going to lead and bless them and provide flourishing shalom for them and the whole world. And so they're waiting and they're hoping. And Paul comes on the scene and he tells them, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The promise that you've been waiting for has been fulfilled. And they're kind of like, why haven't we heard this? He's like, I'm telling you now. Let's pick up the story again in verse 26. He says, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles... It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, which is probably why you haven't heard about it till now. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. In other words, you can fact check me. Write a letter to someone you know. And they'll tell you the truth. When we tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. That means his body won't waste away. And God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Okay, so you can hear him telling their story and getting the crescendo rising. It's Jesus. He has come. The promises that were given to David have been fulfilled, and they're probably getting so excited, right? So Paul points to why he follows Jesus. He's like, this is why I follow Jesus. And he shows them the reason he sees Jesus as the continuation of the promise to David. And even though he was crucified by those who were waiting and hoping for him to come, or at least handed him over to be crucified, Jesus resurrected. He rose even in spite of that. Now let's skip down to verse 36. Now, he keeps going. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That means he passed away. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, which is a huge deal. Think about all the festivals and things that the Jews had to go to all year round to provide sacrifice for their sins so that he would be holy. And he says, you've been set free from every sin, a justification you weren't able to obtain under the law of Moses. So what he's saying here, what he's really saying is this. I like to take everything we read and kind of sum it up. Sometimes he says, there is a story that is more true and more complete And more beautiful than the story you've held on to up until this point. Because this is how the story is continuing in and through Jesus. This long-awaited and hoped-for Messiah. This anointed king you've been expecting. He came. He came. And rather than being set up on a throne, he was rejected. And he was crucified. But in order to show you how truly he was the fulfillment of God's promise... In order to show to show you how truly he was the fulfillment of a true king of Israel and of the whole world, he conquered death. He conquered death and he rose from the grave. And now, all of us, Paul said it to them, and I'll say it to you: all of us have been invited to participate in this continuing story. That is how the Holy Spirit is leading the way. It is still happening. It is still happening. That this king did not just come to set up a kingdom uh, in Jerusalem for that time and that place 2,000 years ago, but this king set up a, a continuation of God's kingdom to do God's work in this world right now, here and today. Setting things right the way God wants them to be. We get to participate in that. Now jump down to verse 40. Let's like, take a look at how Paul ends this. <laughs> this is what he says. Take care. Take care. I love how he says that. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. What did they say? Look, you scoffers. Wonder and perish. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. Whoa. Sounds like right now. When me talk about Jesus, I don't believe that stuff. But I just told you yeah look you scoffers wonder and perish for i'm gonna do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you boom that's how he ends it he's like here's the good news but i got a warning for you and i'm gonna i'm gonna preface it with take care (laughs) take care a little passive aggressive maybe that's coming out in paul there okay so regularly, Paul gives this long sermon. If you read, if you read your New Testament, get, which is basically all of his letters are big long sermonettes. He'll give this big long sermon, and rather finish with the lovely, let's play the music, and everybody come on in, let's do the altar call. He's like, don't screw it up. Don't do what your forefathers did. Don't be pig headed and stubborn. This is another here's a nicer way of saying it. Remember this story about what was said to us about our prophets. This probably applies to you right now. Okay? Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. I'm going to do something that you would never believe. I'm going to bring my son into this world. He's going to carry the weight of everything and everybody who's ever done anything wrong, even the worst of the worst. He is going to conquer the grave after his very own people who've been waiting for him and hoping for him have killed him, handed him over to be crucified. And he's going to say, is that all you got? Is that all you got? Easter, resurrection day. Here's what happens afterwards. He tells them, don't mess it up. Skip down to verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Well, that's better than what Paul gave Stephen, isn't it? Way better, yeah. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So there were many there who were like, this is an easy leap for me. You just told me my story. You just told me what Jesus did. And yeah, it makes sense. I'm in. I'm all in, right? I see your explanation of this Old Testament story and how it's still our story and how we're still moving into a fuller, richer, deeper understanding of what God's work is in the world through Jesus, and I want in on that. Fast forward to verse 47. Jump down and read this. On the next Sabbath. Okay, so you read the Bible for what it says. This is like segueing into the next part of the story. It's a week later, right? Translation, next week, on the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So there people are at the first meeting, it's like a small crowd, and they all whip out their phones and are like Instagram, boop, Twitter, boop, Facebook. You won't believe this guy, Paul, viral. Okay? It's all over the place. And they're like, is this guy still here? Yeah, he's gonna be there next Sunday. He's gonna be there next Sunday. Come and see, all right? So the whole city. Gathers together to hear the word of the Lord, the whole city. So it's not Antioch Prime where it's 650,000 people. It's a smaller city, but it's the whole city. Okay. When the Jews, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They're like, wait, we haven't gotten this big of a crowd. All of a sudden this upstart comes in and he draws a big crowd. Wait, what? They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, wonder and perish. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So he just brings up Old Testament prophecy there and says, hey, this was there from the beginning. When the Gentiles heard this, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So we don't know if there were some Jews that said, yeah, I'm in, and some that weren't. Some that were like, okay, I'm just going to keep silent till the haters leave, and then I'll be all in. And the, the Gentiles... Which, by the way, I mean, probably some of you have Jewish background and heritage in your family. Probably many of you do not. Which makes you a what? A Gentile. Okay? My question is, what happened from one Sabbath to the next? What changed during that week? Something turned because... So many there, the first time, that heard the good news and it made sense to them and they wanted to join in. But here's what I think happened. I mean, it's just human nature. Think about our own human nature here, right? Because he's telling this story as a beautiful continuation of their Jewish faith, their own story. And they wanted it. And then what happened? The whole city shows up. People who didn't have their background. People who didn't have this deep Old Testament heritage. These people show up because they want to hear the story too. And when the Jews see this, they say, no. No. Mm Mm-mm. This story isn't for everyone here. This is our story. This is our story. This is kind of like when somebody says to me, I've been in Bible study before. Most This typically happened to me in college and when I had college students. um, But it's happened to me in other places as well. You're doing a Bible study. How many of you have ever been in a Bible study with like a small group? Okay, half of you. Um uh, we by the way, we're gonna have kinfolk groups and Bible studies and a few things coming this fall, so I'll just throw that in there that you can join in with. But, um been in this Bible study and you read your Bible and they're not read, they're, their Bible's not open, but you're discussing some matter of scripture and you don't agree on it, right? You don't agree on it, and what do they say? The person says, well, my Bible says this. I'm sorry, it's not your Bible. It's everyone's Bible. It's not, what, what they're saying is, is, My interpretation of my Bible, the way I read it, is right when they say my Bible. No, it's not your Bible. It's all of our scriptures. You don't own the scriptures, okay? And so these people, these Jews, are saying, no, we own this story. My Bible says this is about me and and mine and my Jewish, the promises that are for us. My Bible says that. And Paul's like, uh, you're forgetting a bunch. You're forgetting the whole story of why God allowed you to have a king and what the purpose of that was for back when we were talking about David. they're basically like, how dare you come in? How dare you come in and take this story? It's our story. You can't listen to it. Something turned during that week. So Paul says there in the middle, since you reject it, if you look back at that scripture, since you reject it and don't consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we're now turning to the Gentiles. Basically he says, you've judged yourselves to be unworthy of the work that God is doing right now. And so we're going to go to the Gentiles because they're open to it and they need it. And it's for everyone. It's for all people. We turn to all of these people who do not have your same ethnic and religious heritage because it's for them too. God said so. You're just choosing not to read that scripture, you bunch of cherry pickers. Okay? It's for them too. It is not just... For us to be elite, this elite chosen people anymore, it's for all of God's people. There's a lot of story there. What I want us to sit with and recognize and hold today is that this same story of this God who is ever moving, right now, He's still moving. He's ever moving beyond the life of those who, though they were in, they thought they were in this insider s- circle. It's still the same story today. That same God in this story we've just read is inviting us to join with Him and to participate with Him in sharing the good news. I don't just mean evangelism. I mean sharing the good news by the way you live, the way you interact with others, the way you invite and welcome people not like you into your life and into these doors and into your home. Most of us here this morning, we've already admitted, are Gentiles. We have been welcomed in. Who are we not welcoming in? The danger for us, like the danger for the Jews in that story, is that we start to have this posture of, well, we're the ones who got it all figured out. We got it all figured out. We're the ones who got it. And all these other people, they just really messed up. I'm not not talking about us being right and they're right too, or right and wrong. We have a story that we believe in. And we believe it to be the one true story. But I'm talking about this attitude of superiority. Okay? Okay? I want to read you a quote from N.T. Wright. I've read you a lot of quotes from N.T. Wright because he's like my Christian Dumbledore. He's like, he's like my Christian Gandalf, okay? Um, he's like... Uh, yeah. So this is the quote. This is a twist. He's talking about this exact passage of Scripture. This is a twist in the story which takes us down, deep down, to the mystery of of God's call of Israel in the first place. When God wanted to save the world, he called a people whom he knew to be part of the problem, as well as being, from then on, the bearers of the solution. This is one of the hardest things Paul has to say, but it cannot be avoided. All Jew and Gentile alike must be humbled before God if they are to receive His rescue and new creation as what it is, a gift of grace and not a favor automatically reserved for a special few let 's go back to that last slide, the one before, part of the, uh, the one before that. He called the people whom he knew to be part of the problem as well as being from then on the bearers of the solution. let's just leave that up for a minute because that 's us. <laughs> We're part of the problem, and we're part of the solution, right? We'll just leave that up for a minute. God did not call this ancient nation of Israel because they were perfect. He doesn't call us because we're perfect. In fact, if you remember the story of Israel, you can literally translate the word Israel as struggle. The word means struggle. (laughs) These were not perfect people. God invited a nation of broken bro- deeply broken people to be a part of carrying forward his message to the world and his purposes in the world. So then not only were they part of the problem, they were also part of the solution. And he writes says it can't be avoided. It's one of the hardest things Paul says. All of us if we are to Receive God's rescue in our lives. Like, and I don't know about you, but I need that like every day. I need to receive the message of His rescue every day. Every day. Um, once you do that, then you can participate in, in the same work that He's doing. And, and then we get to cling to this hope that He offers, and we can have humility at the same time. So, what I think that looks like for us now in the midst of everything we have going on in our lives, in the midst of everything that we read in the news, we are gathered here today because maybe you are exploring this thing called Christianity. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But as Christians, we believe that this story is true. That it's the one true story. And God has told it in the Scriptures and in and through His people who were not perfect. And He's continuing to tell it today through us. That is so humbling. He is telling his story through us. Through you. Through me. Even though we aren't perfect. Even though we aren't perfect. My God. That is humbling and amazing. And part of that story is that we recognize our imperfection and we own it. you got to own it. you got to own it. And once we recognize our imperfections, we look around at all the barriers between us in humanity, and you go, why are these here? Huh? All the barriers that are there. You're thinking of all of them right now. And you go, why? In light of this story, why? When we look at our fellow human beings, then we should go, now, I hesitate to use the word. I, I don't like to use the word when I'm talking in public to a group of people to say, you need to, or you should do this. But we should look around the room and go, we're all imperfect, and this story is amazing, and it's for everyone. The story is for every one of us. It's for every one of us. And we should invite everyone else to invite in, to invite them in to join in this story. So to close this out, I want to go to the next slide, so you're going to have to jump a couple, Ava. Um, for some of you this morning, here's what I want to say to you, and I'll just put this up here for you. I want to invite you to grab a hold of hope. Because when you look at this story, there's two groups of people that are needing hope. For many, for many who have found a new sense of faith in the life of this church as it grows, because there's been a lot of new people walking in the doors and making this their church home. Many of you have come here after a season of doubt, a season of skepticism, a season of hurt, a season just away. You couldn't take it. You needed a break or whatever from church or whatever your reasoning was. We don't care. We're all human. We've all had these things. Something like that. You've been hurt by someone in the church or wherever else, and you're like, that's not for me. That might not be your story, but it's a common underlying theme for a lot of us in here. For you, if that's you this morning, I want you to imagine what it looks like to take this story of Jesus who came into this world to provide restoration He came into this world to provide restoration and renewal and recreation and resurrection for you and for everyone else. I want you to imagine what it looks like to take that into your life and hold it close and live in the hope of that, to truly live in the hope of that. So even in the midst of, I know I'm just like you, I am not okay all the time. Many of you know me closely. You know this. And I can bristle when I'm ticked. And I can not be patient. Right? None of you are like that, right? It's just me. Right. Okay. Even in the midst of not being okay all the time, you're able to say, I believe in this story and that it's the most true story that that there is and that it's good and it gives me hope. It's the best story ever. If you, if seriously, if you don't know that story, if you don't know it and understand it fully and you want to understand it better and you're like, I need this story, I need this Jesus, then please, please come talk to me afterwards. But there's this story in your scriptures that defines and shapes how all of creation exists, how it literally just exists and is held together in and through this person of Jesus And how God created all of it. And despite our imperfections, He puts us into a vocation. He puts us into His vocation. And it matches what He's doing. It's a vocation of, we just said it a minute ago, of restoration, of renewal, of recreation, and resurrection. That's what He's putting us into. That's our vocation. All that's just a fancy way of saying... The things that are dead and wrong and messed up in our lives, they get fixed, they get mended, and they get made new. We become new creation. And in Jesus, the things that are dead, they don't stay that way. They come back to life. We're talking about a life that is full of shalom, a life that is full of flourishing. And even though humans like us, we keep going and. We keep going and doing our own thing and going our own way, right? God keeps re-entering the story through Jesus. He keeps re-entering the story through the Holy Spirit. We've just sung, right? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We don't just mean in this room. We mean in our hearts each and every hour of every second of every day. You are welcome here to lead me, to guide me into your flourishing, to participate with you in resurrection life, the way we live every day. And so he shows us which way to go so that we can be a people of hope. And let me just tell you, it's important, like, I don't just say that lightly, invite you to grab hold of hope. It's important to know why the reason we need to name hope as it applies to the context in this passage. Because there's a group of people who were hoping. They were hoping for something. They knew the story and they were hoping for something. You know the story and you're still hoping for something. They they knew the story And they were hoping for a Savior and a Messiah, but what did they do? Just like the Jews before them, probably a decade earlier when Jesus was killed by them. They reject the story. They reject the story. And then there's this other group of people who are not part of that heritage, and they're even more desperate, even though they might not know it. And they're given this hope. Paul tells the story, and he goes, here's some hope, some true hope. And they cling to it. And they're like, yes, please. I don't know about these other guys who supposedly know this story, but whatever. This, yeah, I want that. I want this Jesus. And they clung to it. Verse 48 says they were glad. Which is like, yes! Yes! Hallelujah! Need that. Right now. They were honored by the word of the Lord. This is why our scriptures are just so like... Hmm. You know, and there's no emotion there, but that's what they were like. And in our world, in our world, in our culture today, there's this other story that's so prevalent. And they're like, no, there's no such thing as one true story. There's no such thing as one true story. You can't tell me that your story defines my life and my story. You can't tell me that, you Christians. You can't do that. And rightly so, partly because there's been Christians throughout history who've said, "It's our story, or else." And guess what? We gotta own that. We have to own that and all the atrocities that have come with it. We gotta own it and understand why our culture is the way it is and the way it's shifted this way is we're partly responsible. You might say, well that wasn't me. Well that's not good enough. You gotta be humble enough to go, yeah, if I wear this label called Christian, I'm gonna have to take all the bad baggage that comes with it many people have run away from the faith or left the faith or said no thanks because of what they've seen throughout history. And yeah, there could be cop-outs there and all that other stuff. All that aside, there's this prevalent story that says, you cannot tell me that your story defines my story. And what I want to tell you this morning is this. If you are a Christian, to fully ascribe to the Christian faith is to say there is one true story. There is one true story, and it orients all of creation. And even though the other side of that is there's those who don't believe it, then there's us that are on the inside. And sometimes we doubt, and sometimes we have skepticism. And we're like, this isn't working out how I thought it would work out. And how come I, didn't, I, I prayed this, and it didn't happen, and I didn't get all my wishes. And I, I was, What do you mean I have to go through all this hurt and agony and emotional despair in my life? I thought if I chose Jesus, no, he, what, you're talking about Jesus. The story starts out with people trying to kill him and killing others and killing babies instead of him, and it ends with him being killed. And you thought being a Christian was going to be all rosy and everything was going to be easy. No, but we doubt sometimes. We hold, but we hold on to the story of God that is our story of hope. And so if that's you, whatever you're coming to with us today, whatever you're bringing in, I invite you to live with hope. Hope is not just, oh, I hope. It's an active disposition, an active posture where I'm going to live as if these things are true. I choose to live. I choose to live. Just like in the same way you can't say, I, I love someone right that has to be active that can't just be like mere sentiment right because you say that you know um whatever what's your favorite restaurant name one come on give me a restaurant what steakhouse what Metropolitan metropolitan steakhouse i love my wife and i love metropolitan steakhouse what does love mean I hope I get this someday, or I hope in Jesus, right? It needs to be an active hope, meaning I choose every day, every hour, to live as if this story is true. So that's one side. I invite you to grab a hold of hope, and we'll close it out with this. For others of you this morning, I want you to live with a posture of humility. You're invited to live with a posture of humility. Humility is right smack in the middle of the context of this passage that even though there is one true story that we all come around, none of us have that story fully. And not even our church has that story fully. We don't hold this dominant primary story that God is telling, but then we have to hold that, but then we also have to hold a posture of humility, which means we recognize There is always an opportunity for us to understand better what God is up to in the world, right? Right? Yeah. We don't want to be like those Jews in Pisidian Antioch who said, this is our story, we own it, you can't teach us anything new, it's for nobody else but us. Thank you very much, goodbye. You know? Instead, we want to say we believe this story, we hope in this story, and we need others to come alongside us so that we can understand it better and more fully. We have humility around the story so that we don't say, well, we've got it all figured out. So if you've been with us for some time, to close this completely, I'd like to end with some questions. I'm going to put these questions up for you now. And I don't know where you feel you fit into this today. You might say, I have the, You might say, I have the hope piece down, but I need to work on the humility. And you might say, well, I have the humility piece down, And you mean that in a very humble way when you say, yeah, I got that. (laughs) Um, But you don't have the hope piece down for because of whatever's happening in your life, whatever circumstances are coming your way, whatever situation you're finding yourself in. You're like, yeah, I want to believe the story and I feel like I have humility, but I don't... The hope piece, you know, I need that. But really, these two are part of a cycle that needs to be continuously happening that keeps you orbiting around the person of Jesus and his love and his grace that he extends to you. So the question is, How do, how God, how do I view your story in the world today? Is it, is it something that you actually think you can participate in, that he's still telling the story? Or are you just like, yeah, that's in the Bible? I mean, that's a very fundamental story. I mean, like, you can't ask the question, God, what are you asking of me and what am I going to do about it, if you don't believe that he is going to lead you and you get to participate in the story that he's telling Question number two, do I need hope? Maybe you need to name that. Maybe you just need to name, I oh God, I need some of your hope. I'm down. It's, it's deeper than just being depressed or anxious or whatever. Before you can move ahead, maybe you need to sit down with God and say, I need your hope. How can I have more of this hope that you're offering? Help me with this, God. Do you need humility? Maybe you need to recognize and name that. Maybe you think that you know it all and you don't have anything left to f- figure out. You don't have anything else that you can receive. You're not able to learn anything else. And maybe you're threatened by views that don't match up with your own or something like that. Maybe for you this morning, you might sit and say to God, how can I have more humility so that I don't end up like those those Jews in and Antioch that rejected the word of the Lord? This is how we as a community come around the Jesus story with hope and humility, right? It's a, way, it's a posture that we need to have. We have this hope that we hold out to everybody, but in a, humil- a humble way, in an understanding way, that people are coming from different places and they have different stories. So I want you to all sit and pray through these questions for a minute. I'm going to invite the band to come. But um, Mark, why don't you come up here? And let's just play music, some music, background music for maybe two minutes. And I want to give you uh, just opportunity um, to pray, to sit and be quiet. And we'll leave those questions up for you. And you can focus on those questions. If you find your mind flitting away, I encourage you to look at the cross as an anchor for your thoughts as you pray. And ask those questions. And I want, I want you to do that. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And after a few minutes, we pass Mark, then Mark's going to lead us in the sharing of communion together. Let's pray.